You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Well, we are in our fourth week of the Lenten series, and we're three weeks away from Easter. And uh, we've been inviting you to pray for your just one. That could be just one person or just one family. Who does God sense or who do you sense God wants to work in their life and he wants to use you? And we just invite you to pray during this season and see what God does. I've been praying for my personal trainer and uh, we had a kind of cool conversation the other day. It wasn't forced. It just kind of came out. And... Um, and oh, I'm praying for him, just seeing where the conversation goes, looking to see where God is at work in his life. And, and so we invite you guys to do that during this season. In this sermon series, we are taking a day-by-day look at the last week of Christ. We started out with the Sunday of the last week. That was a triumphal entry. And, uh, you know, the people, the people wanted someone to do something about the, the Romans. They wanted someone that could match force with force and kick Rome out of their country. And people are yelling, Hoshana, please save. But while Pilate entered through the west gate of Jerusalem at some point that week, on a white stallion showing force, Jesus chose to enter through the Eastern gate, a very messianic thing to do because it's in the scriptures. And he did it on a donkey. Maybe a little different than what the crowd expected. The Monday comes along and Jesus starts the day by cursing the fig tree. And he ends the day by his disciples recognizing that his curse took full effect. That from the root on up, the tree was a dry tree. And in the middle of that, Jesus is cleansing the temple. He addresses, he, he face to face goes against the Sadducees who are using the temple system to get rich off of their temple service. It's 25 football fields. It's a big space. We showed a map that day of what it would, looking down on the University of Montana um, campus and just how big of an area that is, the Temple Mount. And so Jesus had to have help. I think the, the crowds were ready to help Jesus cleanse the temple to push the money exchangers and people selling and, and buying of sheep and goats and doves, exchanging money, push, ready to push them out. And what we asked you to consider was how are the things that you've added or taken away from scriptures, how's that getting in the way of someone else from connecting to God? And then last week, Logan talked about the Tuesday of Christ last week. 
and he quiets the teachers of the law. The religious elite, he said, you do not understand the scriptures nor the power of God. And, and, and in every conversation that Jesus has with the religious elite, they walk away humiliated. And so for the disciples, I imagine the first three days of the last week of Christ, it's looking pretty good. It's looking pretty good. Like this is maybe not meeting every expectation, but, but man, even the Greeks, even the people from around the globe that are coming into Jerusalem to partake in the Seder meal, partake in Passover, they want to talk with Jesus. And yet Jesus says that a wheat, grain of wheat has to die. And by the end of that Wednesday, Judas works out the details on how he's going to betray his master, his teacher, his rabbi. And if this was a movie, the, the tone and the music would be changing at this point. We'd start to sense that things aren't going as people would expect. And then we come up on Wednesday. And this is what we know about what Jesus said and did on Wednesday. It's a little more complicated than this. We'll talk about this more in footnotes. I mean, it's not, it's not super cut and dry, but most theologians will tell you, we don't know what Jesus said or did. And, and it kind of reminds me of, of those times when, when in my life, I just, it seemed like things are going, like God is doing something and he's inviting me into something. And he's like, Rob, let's go do this. And then all of a sudden he's quiet. He's silent. What a unnerving feeling. I think of the disciples, like, man, things are happening. People are celebrating Hoshanah. They're laying down palm branches. They're recognizing Jesus as the coming king, cleansing the temple. Jesus is whatever he says in the temple. The people are in awe. The religious leaders, they, they can't dispute him. They can't match him word for word. Like that's got to be really good. This has to feel really good. But then there's this Judas thing. And, and even if you, they don't know, you ever have that sinking feeling when you don't know, but you think you know? And then you come to Wednesday and it's just silent. I don't know. I love this Simon Garfunkel song, you know, Hello, Silence, My Old Friend. Like it's an amazing song, but how many of us love silence? The room goes silent. We don't like silence. We will fill that void, won't we? Have you ever experienced a season where it seemed that God was silent 
And if so, how did you respond? What was your automatic response? Like you, you couldn't even control it. It just kind of came, came out of you. What was that like for you? I've responded in fear at times, angry. At times I've wanted to negotiate with God. God, do you, do you understand what's going on? Do you know, what, do you know how important this is? I've questioned my faith, my salvation, my maturity. I've reviewed every minute of every moment of every day in the midst of the silence. Sometimes silence is violence. If you're a 21 Pilots fan, you'll appreciate that. Lyric, um, we won't talk about that today, how God uses silence and actually what helps us to get through it. So I want to take you guys back to this map because we started here in the first sermon. We said that through the second half of Luke 9, through the first half of Luke 19, Jesus is traveling towards Jerusalem. Luke, that's what, that's what Luke captures. So for about 10 chapters, Jesus is traveling and talking and teaching and eating with people. And this is where the bulk of the parables from Luke are documented. And then Jesus is in Jericho, the, the beginning of Luke 19, back end of uh, 18 and the beginning of 19, and then the back end of 19, we looked at Luke's narrative on the triumphal entry. But John, John captures a story that fits right in the middle of the first half of Luke 19 and the back end of Luke 19. So Jesus is, is in Jericho at the beginning of our story that we find in John chapter 11. And the story is Jesus raising Lazarus. And this is a critical story. John's going to tell you that without this story, Jesus probably doesn't go to the cross this week. It's a critical story. And so just from an overview, it's a big chapter. Mary and Martha, they send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. It's a day's travel from Bethany to Jericho where Jesus is at. And Jesus decides, once word reaches him, he decides to stay for two more days. And then he travels, a day's travel. And so when they send word to Jesus, and by the time Jesus shows up, it's, it's four days later. And Mary and Martha, they're going to come to Jesus in their own way. They're going to say the exact same words, but their body language is going to say something completely different. And Jesus has a different response for each of them. Ultimately, 
Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees are scared that they're going to lose their position before Rome. And this is why they decide that Jesus is going to have to die. But I want to focus in on these conversations. Because when God's silent, we got to fill the void, right? We got to talk. I don't know about you, but that's me. And so I want to focus in on the conversations that took place in this story. So starting with John 11, 3 through 7. So the sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. I would love to be identified that way. Simply, he who, whom you love. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so that when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus loved them. And so he chose to be silent. He chose to be silent. Sometimes, sometimes God needs to communicate his love to you and I through his silence. And that's not my go-to. <laughs> that's not my go-to assumption. I don't know about you. I don't immediately think, man, thank you, God, for loving me like this. It's not my go-to. I read through 1 Corinthians uh, 3 through 8 on a regular basis, almost daily. It's a love chapter where we're told that love is patient, it's kind, it's not jealous, it doesn't brag, it's not arrogant, it doesn't act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it's not provoked. I read through this almost daily to review my day before. And I think about the times where I acted unbecomingly, where I was provoked, where I was jealous, where I chose to brag, where I was impatient. And, I, and I'm trying to, it's like laying down a plumb line again, laying down a chalk line if you're going to lay tile or install a roof. I look at it over and over and over again to align myself to these things again and again and again. But the very next words by the Apostle Paul nail me every time. And I, I just know they're not true of me and they're not true of you. But love never fails. Those three words challenge me because my, my love has failed. Your love has failed. And so I know that there's only one and I, and I, and I turned it into a celebration. I could, you, I could mourn about it, but I, I turned it into a celebration that God, your love never fails. It never fails, but my circumstances will lie to me sometimes. And tell me that I'm unlovable. Doesn't, 
take much for me to believe that. Or that God somehow got tired or distracted or just gave up on me. The circumstances will lie. God reveals his love through silence. Reveals his love through silence. There's, there's four main ways that God is using his love, is using silence to, to show us that he loves us. And, and the silence of waiting is this, is this particular story. He made Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, if you think about it, he made them wait. But there's also silence of judgment. In 1 Samuel 3, we're told that in that time, the word of the Lord wasn't, wasn't prevalent. That visions weren't prevalent. That people weren't hearing from God. And the, and the reason is Eli and his sons, they were not stewarding the priesthood well. They were not stewarding the temple well. They were taking advantage of people. And God says, I'm not going to speak through you guys. I'm not going to speak through you guys. There's also the silence of mercy in, in Matthew 26, when Jesus is before the high priest. High priest says, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ the son of God. But 10 verses before that, when Jesus is in the garden and he's being betrayed and his disciples are lopping off ears and ready for a fight, Jesus says, don't you know that I could call upon 12 legions of angels? I could stop this. But there was a silence of mercy. Jesus never answered the high priest. And then there's silence of testing in 2 Chronicles 32. We're told that God leaves King Ahaz to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. King Ahaz was a godly king and he did well, but he let his pride, he let pride creep, creep in. And so God said, I'm going to back off and just reveal what's going on here. I'm going to reveal what's true inside of you. God uses his, his silence to reveal his love and to lead us to new places. When Jesus arrived in Bethany, Martha came to Jesus and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. See, I think Martha has shown up and she is here to negotiate with God. She is here to negotiate with the Lord. Lord, you failed me a little bit. You disappointed me a little bit. Like my expectation was that you were going to take care of us. Like we are your followers. Why weren't you here? But even now, 
even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, it'll be okay. And Jesus said to her, your, your brother will rise again. But Martha says, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Her eschatology was correct. Her, her understanding of the end times was correct. She's like, that's not what I'm after. I don't want Lazarus then. I want Lazarus now. And isn't that what we all want? Like, yes, it'd be great then, but how about now, God? How about heal my friend now? How about heal my mom now? How about heal my son now? How about restore the relationship now? I don't want to wait. That doesn't really fit my timeline. Doesn't meet my expectation. Look at what Jesus says next. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha wanted Lazarus. Jesus was offering her so much more. He was offering himself. Sometimes we want the answer. Sometimes we want the resurrection. And we miss the God that supplies it. We're so focused on our, on our request, on the miracle, that we forgo this connection right here. But you know what? Martha goes away satisfied. She says, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. She's going to get Lazarus back. But she got way more than what she anticipated. I love what Spurgeon says. And I know I'm out of order. I apologize for that. Spurgeon says, In nearly every instance of prayer in the Old Testament, God gives ten times as much as is asked for. Man. When I read that this week, that floored me. As I prayed about some of the things I've been praying for, I'm like, God, I can't imagine what 10 times could look like. I can't even fathom how big of a God you truly are. So short-sighted. But Martha goes away satisfied. And then Mary comes to Jesus and she comes weeping. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's, it's the same words. 
It's the exact same words. But her body language says something different. She's not there to, to fight him, to negotiate, to argue, to cajole. And I've been both a Mary and a Martha. Different times, different places, different situation, different, different thing I was praying for. I've been each of them. The cool thing is, is both Mary and Martha got the exact same thing. John eleven thirty five 35 says, Jesus wept. Jesus met these two sisters with the same, same thoughts, same words on their mind, but in different places, emotionally, spiritually, approaching the same kind of problems, dealing with the silence of God, which is awkward for, for all of us. He met them right where they're at. Doesn't chastise them. Just meets them there. And gave them what they needed more than anything else, which is himself. See, we can boldly approach God with our heart. Whatever, whatever's in there, God knows. He just, he wants us to reveal it. He wants us to see it. He wants us to understand it. And we can pray without ceasing, knowing that our God has broad enough shoulders not to be offended by our sometimes immature words, by our sometimes accusations, by our misunderstandings, by our frustrations, by our fear. He's not offended by any of that. Because he's got really, really broad shoulders. Like we can't even picture how broad his shoulders are. I picture Mary and Martha years after the resurrection going, do you remember that time where we tried to tell Jesus what's what? And the disciples, <laughs> I mean, they had three years of telling Jesus what's what. How many times have you told your boss, your teacher, you got that wrong <laughs> in three years? Can you imagine how many times the disciples said that to Jesus and Jesus just loved them anyway? He can handle our prayers. He can handle our questions, our fears, our frustrations. He actually knows that they're there and he wants to bring it to the surface. It's you and I that need to come face to face with those things that come out of us. That automatic response. It's you and I that need to see that so we can let it go. There's one more element to our experience when God seems silent and it's seen through Mary and Martha's friends. They said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man also from dying? Our friends will ask tough questions. Our community will, will accuse our God. And we'll start to worry about God's reputation. God, do you know how important this is? 
God, do you know how many people are watching? Do you know how many people I said something to? And it starts off with God's reputation, but becomes something about our reputation and how foolish am I going to look for even starting down this path? Have you ever been there with God? God, don't you understand how important this is? Imagine the disciples on that Wednesday where the scriptures are silent and the disciples are like, do you hear the rumors? Do you see how this is kind of unraveling? Like if you're not careful, they're going to kill you. They'll crucify you. Think about this though. Other people had raised people from the dead. There's other prophets that had already done that. It's documented in the Old Testament. Jesus had already done it in the New Testament. But no one was ever four days dead. No one's body was decaying to the point of creating an odor. Jesus wasn't showing with an AED and restarting the heart. He was putting things back together through his words that were completely falling apart, totally broken. That's the kind of God we serve. That's who this Jesus is. The Jews will tell you, yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus raised people from the dead. We're okay with that. He was a great man. No. He's the resurrection and the life. Will you trust him with yours? Will you choose to know him even when he's choosing to be silent? We choose to draw near him even when things are confusing and you don't understand and you can't see the big picture. Will you be faithful regardless of what your circumstances communicate? We continue to pray. The implication is this everyone desires resurrection. I don't know a single person in this world that doesn't desire resurrection for themselves, for their loved one, for grandma, grandpa, their uncle, Bob, Fred, the child that they lost. Everyone desires resurrection. Christ invites you to know the one who resurrects. And everyone desires miracles. We all want something that's beyond our control solved. Hoshana. Please save. Someone do something about this. Christ invites you to pursue the one who makes miracles. Make, Make that pursuit more important than the miracle itself.
and everyone desires answers. We all have questions. We all have unanswered questions, things that oftentimes won't get answered this side of heaven. But Christ invites you to trust the one who holds those answers. Richard J. Foster said this, one reason we can hardly bear to remain silent is it makes us feel so helpless. We are so accustomed to relying upon words to manage and control others. If we are silent, who's going to take control? God will take control, but we will never let him take control until we trust him. Silence is intimately related to trust. It's when you could sit next to that person and and they don't have to say the words, I love you. Because you already know that's trust. That's trust. So some next steps. Do the last thing first. Whatever God told you to do, Whatever the last moment was, like, yep, that was it. He told me, he told me to do that, do that first. Whatever the last thing was, you heard him. I know it's gotten hard. I know the road's gotten bumpy. I know circumstances are telling you all kinds of things. And, and it seems like God's not in the game. But do that first. My first experience with this was when uh, God told me to add on to our house when Christy and I were first married. Uh, we were probably four years, three years into our marriage. And uh, I was told that it would cost $40,000 to do the 700 square foot addition. And, and we only had $20,000, but God told me to do it anyway. And there were so many times in that experience where I said, God, if you hadn't told me, if I wasn't absolutely sure, I would quit right this second. I'd leave the stick frame right where it's at and I'd walk away. I was so frustrated because my circumstances were lying to me. Do the last thing first. Secondly, wrestle within your community over the silence of God. We need perspective. And we need people to remind us of what, we, what, God, what they've seen God do in and around us. We need encouragement. We need hope. Now, what we don't need is Job's friends. So, community... Let's not be Job's friends. We, when someone is experiencing the silence of God, we don't have to solve that for them. And we don't have to be the, become the voice of God. He's got a big enough voice of his own. He'll speak when he's ready. And so Job's friends, what they did was they, were, they sat there silently for seven days. Then they're like, enough of that. We're talking. This is what God's trying to say to you. 
dear friend of mine, when we first met, first day, first time together in a small group, I shared just what it was like for me to wait to go on staff at, uh, at Moscow Real Life. And he says, you know what? Because I've just met you, but you need to know that you can serve God wherever you're at, so you don't have to become a pastor. He took a very complex situation and he made it very simple. We've we got to avoid that community. When people are sharing their experiences about what it means for them to experience the silence of God. Let's not make things that are complex, simple. And let's not speak for God. Let's not try to be his voice. He's choosing to lovingly be quiet. Maybe we shouldn't oppose that. And then number three, to build trust with God this week, take time to sit silently with him. I did that this week. Um, honestly, when uh, Sunday afternoon came around and I had to think about writing this sermon, I was not pleased because I have been in this season where God seems silent. And you just got to hear 35 minutes of everything I felt in that season. And we take time as a staff to pray uh, in more uh, intentional ways once a month. And so I went and did my prayer in, in the midst of all the things I had to do on Wednesday. And Logan went away and did his prayer in the midst of all the things he had to do. And it took a time of silence, which is super awkward for me. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've tried to do that. It's like a muscle that never gets used. I have to like, like, like force it to, and the quiet everything in this brain and to push everything out and choose to just sit there because I believe that God loves me. I wish I could say that it was easier. But it's not. But it was also good. I benefited from it. I needed it. And when that still small voice speaks, every time he speaks, it is powerful. And it is full of love. My friends, I know that we're looking for resurrection. I know that we're looking for miracles. I know that we're looking for answers. Let's not chase after those things and totally miss the one that makes all those things possible. Let's cling to him. Let's trust him. Let's trust him to know that the silence actually is for our benefit. Let's pursue that God that takes things that are totally dead, totally broken. And the one song turns dry bones into armies. I felt like dry bones recently.
I don't know about you. And I asked for God's spirit to breathe on me. And maybe this is a season where you need to do the same. Just cling to him. The one who resurrects. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.